Welcome to Talk Design, the show where creatives have conversations. I'm Adrian Ramsey and I'm your host. Having lived a life of design myself, I wanted to share with you the creatives that inspire me and in turn may inspire you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy. Hi, I'm Adrian Ramsey, and I'm your host on Talk Design. I started this podcast because I wanted to share the journey of design that I've had and that many others have had, and I find it inspirational talking to people globally about what makes design tick and what makes design create a better world for others. My journey has taken me from clothing globally, women's swimwear, performance sportswear, mountaineering, yachting, all these kind of genres where each place I would learn more and more about different specifics and how clothing can support those. Also, I've worked in innovation as a systematic innovation trainer and worked with the aerospace industry as well as the marketing industry and the design industry. And all my years of design Still my favourite is the built structure and interiors. In years of travel and discovery, I constantly look at what the emotions are that are created by the built space. I consider myself a student of design for my whole life and will go on that way. Some of the things that I do to support this is my podcast, and then workshops and masterclasses where I teach people about trends and design thinking and tours where I take people on tour with me and we go and discover different points of architecture or interior design globally. I always think that when you're passionate about something, one of the things that you should do is is you should share it. And so creating the podcast was my way of sharing my enthusiasm and the enthusiasm of others and their passions around design with you. I hope you really enjoy it. And I ask you, would you please drop us a line? Tell us what you think. Tell us what got you excited. It's so inspiring when we get messages from our listeners that tell us about the things that shifted in their life because of who they listen to. And it gives me the inspiration to dig deeper and find more people that I can bring to your ears so that you live a better design life. My guest on Talk Design today is Alexandra Center. Now, Alexandra and I go, well, quite a few years back. Alex has a company called The Big Smoke, and that's a media and publishing company. With that, she also has a gig as a radio commentator. She's a TV commentator on current affairs, trending items, digital media, and all kinds of media. What's happening? What's moving in the world out there? Her company's primarily based in the USA and in Australia. Alex, welcome to Talk Design. Thank you. I'm so excited. Me too. I'm really excited. I think this will be really fun and really useful to listeners to understand more about the world of media and how it affects them and what's changing. Um, First of all, just give us a little bit of runway, a bit of background on you, on where you came from, how you ended up here, and what's the journey been? Yeah, I mean, I guess I started the company back in 2013, 
so almost 10 years ago, and it initially was meant to be just an opinion website. So I think a little bit Huffington Post, yep. um, maybe a little bit of Business Insider, and that's evolved into being a publication and an agency. And the reason why was because I was recognising how difficult it was to justify the return on the investment for advertisers who were only paying for articles or banners. And as a publication, that was the primary way that publications made money. So instead of having the classified, they were putting banner ads on your website. Mm-hmm. And then with the, with the merging worlds of Facebook and Google advertising and being able to advertise anywhere, it became harder and harder to justify why that was valuable. Right. So, but what I did recognize was really valuable was that most companies didn't really know what they were doing when they were spending online. So they were pouring money into channels that they didn't know if they were working, but they maybe were spending five or $6,000 a month on one retainer for one particular type of marketing when actually they should be doing bits of everything um, depending on their, their, their offering. So we created an agency that allowed them to basically have a one-stop shop. So the people in our team are expert PR people or their web devs or their social media people. So instead of the company having to take a guess as to where they should be spending their, their time and resources, we're able to sort of build a plan for them so they're not just wasting money. So, um, yeah, that, that's how the, the, the business evolved into what it is now. And what, were you like the sort of kid that sat on the computer all the time or something? Like what was, how did you end up even knowing about the stuff? Where did that come from? So oh, It came from knowing, it, it actually didn't come from me studying it. It came, well, I only had studied just before I started the company business. So I'd, I'd done my master's in business and I'd started doing law school when I started the company, but I'd never done anything in digital. And that was actually really beneficial because instead of giving you the jargon that every you know digital agency wants to give or marketing, I was actually going, well, hang on, that doesn't sound right. Well, that doesn't work. Well, why would that work? And so I feel like I was able to ask questions that were maybe a little bit different. It's kind of like having people in the industry who have been so entrenched that they just, they only know the way that they've been taught. They just follow Uh, the line. Yeah. Rather than knowing what, what works for the business. So I feel like that's come out of me learning and, and also building the right people. So, you know, if we didn't have like, so for a few years, we didn't have the right staff. We had people who were maybe not as, um, as much of an expert in that space and now we've got we really invest in our people um, and we really invest in people that that you know would be difficult to to maybe use in other agencies because they'd be really expensive so we build that infrastructure around us so that you have access to those people yeah right and with the whole kind of direction of it did you did you you know basically wake up and go okay I've got this idea I'm going to put this together and then okay this is what the business is going to be and then how did you even get started? What what like what was the first opportunity that you went, oh, that's the the start of this journey? You know, a lot of people start a business, they're doing it for themselves, and then they go into what happens next. Right. I, I started the company with a friend at the time who we were having coffee, and we were saying at the time, you know what, I don't really want to hear from a journalist about this particular issue. I want to hear from the people who actually are, are involved with the industry or involved with the issues. Or, And so that's where it came from. And so we started to bring in writers who were, you know, for example, when the um, Lint Cafe happened mm-hmm. um, with, with the with the um, terrible mm-hmm. um, tragedy that in happened. Sydney, yeah. And I think it was 2015 maybe or 2014. Um, we didn't hire a journalist to talk about that incident. We actually had a cab driver who was driving around and taking people out of, 
the area while it was happening. And he wrote the article about his experience, which is really interesting and unique. So we were really trying to find angles that were different. Um, you know, the entire trajectory of the Big Smoke publication has been around opinions, but also because of COVID and everything, um, and I guess some of the evolving fake news that's happened, I, um, I'm now a little bit more hesitant to say we're an opinion site because I feel like there's a connotation that that means it's not a critical thinking platform, which yeah. is true. So I'm very careful when I say it's an opinion site. It's opinions by people that understand what they're talking about. They're not just random long form Twitter, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Twitter posts. So yeah, it's, it's basically meant to be a, pla- a platform that you can hear from thinkers and people within an industry or people within a, an ecosystem of having experience about a critical issue. So whether that's a politician yep. or whether that's a barrister yep. or whether that, whatever, it's about, you know, looking at a, an argument from a different lens. Yeah, wow. And it certainly worked. There's no doubt about that. It's worked in the US and it's worked in Australia. Um, yeah. Why the US and Australia when you were based in Australia? What, what, what was um, the attraction and why did it take off? I had a friend in the US, Greg Girding, who who I had known for many, many, like over 20 years. And um, and we were talking about the concept of it in, in the, I guess, the ecosystem of the US where there's quite um, a clear division between right and left-wing media. Yeah, very. Like, yeah, so it's really, so so it was meant to be a, a, a placement for, for that audience who want to hear different views without necessarily, the idea is, and my husband says this really well, the goal is to always publish content that even if you don't agree with it, even if you don't believe what they're saying or you don't, you know, it doesn't align with your opinion, you can't argue against it because it's so it's argued so well. Right. And that's the goal that we yeah. try. It doesn't always work. It doesn't always happen. No. But, but that's that's the intent when, that you set out with to yeah. go there. So then with that and having built this audience of people that um, look towards the big smoke, then how did you end up branching into, well, whether you branched into, I'm not quite sure. How did you end up with sort of your client portfolio that you support with media as well? Like, so, and that's probably a cross between media and PR, I'm guessing. Yeah. Well, it, it goes to speak to the, the other issue I just mentioned around there's no value in putting banner ads on a website and hoping people click. Yeah. It came from that initially, and it came from wanting to service people better. Um, and I guess the thing that people, I mean, the currency of, of cut through is the att- getting the attention of people. So if you're a company or you're a business owner and you are trying to get cut through, you can be very frustrated if you're constantly sending out press releases and nobody's interested or you're putting stuff on social and nobody's engaging. Mm-hmm. Um, it's frustrating. So we, we like to position ourselves as being, um, you know, understanding of the attention economy. So, you know, one of the guys in my team often talks to our clients about why would a journalist care about the story? And when you ask that question, the client always sort of sits back and goes, well, I'm about to release this new product launch or, well, my website's new and they, like, why would they care? Like, yeah, and you have to think about so. what, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I, I feel like, so, but, but asking that question why they, they would care makes the individual go, okay, why would they care? Well, actually, they might care because, because I'm doing this and it's impacting this. And maybe they'll care. And it's just thinking a little bit differently about what you're putting out in the noise, into the world. And we, we don't always get it right. So the other day someone posted our, our LinkedIn page 
And, um, and the guy in my team who, who talks about the attention economy messaged me, said, why did we post this? And I said, well, because it's really interesting. It's new technology, but I guess, yeah, but is it adding to noise? And I'm like, mm-hmm. actually, yeah, it is. It's adding to the noise. We don't want to do that. We don't want to post about that. So it's just about thinking a little bit differently. So, so say, for instance, like that, when you go, it's adding to the noise. What percentage of, um, of let's call it marketing, I, I don't know whether we to call it just social media marketing or marketing in general, is just adding to the noise as opposed to things that do get cut through and do get that into the grabbing people's attention because it is a noisy atmosphere, you know, like there is a ton of noise going on. So, so let's take you for example yep. with your podcast. Yep. It would have been very easy for you to have a podcast that was just adding no value whatsoever except promoting yourself, yep. right? Um, if you did a podcast that was just on Adrian's ideas for the week, like, yep. but what you did was... That would have added value, hey, tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> what you did was you created um, sort of like a platform for people who have... You don't have all the same people. You don't have every single person in the same disciplines within design or you have people across the spectrum and that's really interesting and then you ask questions that are interesting and you probe and you want to... You want to get in, inside of them in terms of why they've become what they've become. And that's really interesting. What's not interesting is five tips on how I can make my house nicer. Like That's that, available. That's, that's there's, there's a thousand of yeah, those. Exactly. Yeah. So so I guess so what I'm saying is you've done that intuitively because you're also the sort of person that doesn't really like to read anything boring. Yeah. So you you know, and I think it's that care and that thoughtfulness is that makes the difference. So often you see a lot of companies that say they've hired someone and they've said, I want five blogs a month to go out and I want yeah. 12 this. And, and they haven't stopped to think about why. What are they saying? What's the message? Why would people care? I think they're just fulfilling a, um, a, a, a like a, you know, a list. A checklist of this is what I've yeah. heard has to happen. Yeah. So they hire people to write the blogs who don't care about the industry and don't know their industry. And, you know, they, they try to go in cheap by getting, you know what I mean? So it's just, I, I would argue that, all marketing can work if you're more thoughtful. Whether yeah, right. that's PR, whether it's social, whether that's putting out an ebook or whatever, if you're thoughtful, I think it can. There's a higher probability of it landing than if you just are putting out junk. And so, if you're thoughtful, then what speaks to? Um, let's just say that you are thoughtful. What speaks to authenticity? Because that's like the biggest catchword in this whole thing. Is right. everybody wants to know? I don't know, the the authentic person that's behind it. You know, oh, if you're going to do Instagram posts, you know, you've got to post one of you and the family and the dog for every, you know, 10 that you do on your product or something because people want to see inside that picture, but you're actually maybe promoting a business. So in, in that sense of being, uh, I suppose, thoughtful about it as opposed to just process, tell me about that. Yeah, I think people can tell. I mean, you can tell, and and this happens a lot with political figures. Mm. You can tell when a politician is is touting his family photo to be seen as as you know as a as a family family man or a family woman or whatever it is. Yeah, and you you can the audience can tell. Um, You know, I I remember hearing about Brené Brown many years Mm -hmm. ago, and when she became popular, I kind of put her into the category of woo. So in my mind, when she came out, I was like, oh, she's just another Oprah or she did, you know what I mean? I didn't take her that seriously until 
I learned about how she's actually very evidence-based and she's a researcher and blah, blah, blah. It's actually a lot more than I realized. Um, but the reason I put her in that category is because she was saying things like be your authentic self. And that never resonated with me because I didn't really understand how you couldn't be your authentic self. It just sounded like a buzzword. But I understand now what that means and I understand what it means to posture and put yourself out there in a way that's not really who you are. And I feel like it, it, I, I don't feel like audiences, you can't, I don't think you can fool an audience, right? I think people can tell when you're being phony. And if you're somebody who maybe builds your career on a particular narrative and that's not really who you are, it must be a very stressful thing to have. I mean, I don't want to be awful, but if if you look at James Corden at the moment, one of the reasons why he has so much backlash about him as a a person is because he is perceived on his show as being the sweet little dopey English guy and he's so, you know, cutesy and and then he's being a jerk in restaurants, right, allegedly, don't sue me. And, um, and, you know what I mean? And so, but like if David Letterman did it, everyone would be like, yeah, he's he's like that. Yeah, he's that kind of guy, yeah. Yeah. He's going to say something, you know, like. So I yeah. think I feel like people can sense, yeah, whether or not you're putting on an act. That's a it's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because like for anybody who's in the public sphere, and whether they're a person in the public sphere or whether they're a company in the public sphere, which yeah, all companies are, um, then their narrative that they've got to have is they got to have authenticity to their maybe their culture, um, yeah. or maybe their community their clients you know their their, whoever they're servicing and then it's also got to have some sort of link back to people wanting to dig under the you know under the lift the the hood on it to look at who else is in there um right and what makes that conversation safe because of social media you know i think back to God, when I was a kid in social media, if I'd been in social media, I'd have been in prison if there'd been any, you know, like we Snapchat, were just, Snapchat during your high school years. Exactly. Like the, the stuff that we did is just in, insane in a simpler time and something where you weren't observed. And it wasn't that we were necessarily particularly bad or no. anything else. It no. was just that nowadays we see people put stuff on social media and we go, what an idiot. Don't yeah. they know they're being filmed? You know, where we did the same idiotic stuff, or I did, um, that there was nobody filming it. And if there had been, we would have probably been excited and given them our name and number, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, I don't even think that's young. That's just young people because we often talk about young people not thinking about their digital footprint. So, Mm -hmm. you know, when a 16-year-old posts something on YouTube, we're like, you know, that's going to be there in 20 years' time when you're... Mm -hmm. um, But it's not just young people also older people like you see a lot of ceos for example um you know making stupid decisions as to how they're going to address their staff on zoom and they're not thinking that you know the staff could record the zoom call and release it to the public and and then the other thing is um you know if you think about for example a lot of celebrities and not just celebrities but anyone high profile who and and, um you know a number of celebrities have been busted for this recently but going into the dms of people on instagram and flirting with them when they're married like have you not thought that someone's going to screenshot this and release it so it's not even just about putting stuff on on public facing internet like it's not even about posting videos of yourself it's also just how you act online um dictating 
whether or not. So, I, you know, but, but with that, it doesn't mean that if you're the CEO of a company or if you're a, a high-profile figure or if you're just a business owner, whatever, it doesn't mean that you need to expose every part of your life to the public. It just means that when you do talk or when you do post something, you want it to be something, A, that you find genuinely interesting. It's not just, you know, a, a tile that someone's given you. But B, you want it to speak to who you want to be in in business or in whatever industry you're in. Um, you know, how many, I mean, Adrian, think about yourself. How many businesses do you follow on social media because you think they're so cool? The ones I follow are the ones that are either really aesthetically beautiful. So, so for example, I follow quite a few restaurants that I love in New York because every image they do is so gorgeous, the food. Mm-hmm. You know, it inspires. It inspires. It, it takes you on a mental journey. Exactly. Yeah. Or they're funny. They're yeah, right. Yeah. Little, you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm never following a social media account that's just promoting themselves. So I, I find this thing that's a really fascinating thing. You know, like I, whenever you know we end up with in new followers and stuff, I'm always just quickly flicking through just who's following us and what. A, a bit of back, who are they and whether we're even interested in following them back. And, yeah. but I, I give everybody pretty much because I don't have that many joining every, you know, a few a week are joining constantly. So we might get 10 or so. But with that, I will go in and look at them and I get, I, I get somewhere, it's just photos of them, of them. The whole, t- the whole feed is photos of them. And I'm like, okay, so show me something interesting. You, you know, just what you were saying before, give me something that is really interesting or give me something that's different to look at. Try and capture my attention. Um, yeah. But but with that, you have to also really be able to say, I'm going to I'm going to stick to this because, like, for example, for myself, I don't know how interesting it is, but I will not stop posting videos of my dogs and photos of my dogs. And if you said to me, Alex, that's not what the audience wants, I'd be like, I don't really care. It's okay. <laughs> just get me a dog audience. Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think it just, but I think, again, it comes down to that authenticity. And I, and I think we talk about authentic leadership and we talk about authenticity in, in business, but a lot of people don't really think about what that means. But then a lot of people aren't authentic themselves. They don't even really know how I- to be authentic. I was about to say, I think that's part of it as well, that they are mixed between they're trying to promote a business, they're trying to promote themselves, they are just trying to be on the platform. And then I go, okay, from that, what what happens next? And there is some sense of, you know, being able to curate something that's better. And you come back to what you were saying before about actually doing it with a purpose and giving it some thought and being does that align with you so if that's the case and like we have a a lot of listeners who are um in the architectural world and the design world with that what would you say for them and in what way are they different from say i don't know a chemical company i get that they're different don't get me wrong a chemical company or a car company or um, whatever they're still in a aspirational industry I, I suppose but yeah I, I kind of go what 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 way should they look at things in themselves like looking inwardly how should they look at themselves to go what should I project outwardly well I think first of all what do you want your clients to know about you so why are you different to the other person that they could google and right. I think that whatever you're posting should speak to that so, for example, 
you probably would know intuitively that when you're going in to see a client and you're talking about their, their living conditions and how they live, their design mm-hmm. and their architecture and all that, you know that you're better than the other guy because you have a particular vision for how it could be. And it's that vision. Even though you can't necessarily take their vision and post it on Facebook, you would want to take the, the approach that you, you focus on. Yes. How do you have these discussions? What sort of questions do you ask them to understand how they want to live and, and you know, what they mm-hmm. consider to be beautiful? Um, and I think that people will resonate more with an individual who identifies how they take that, that journey with you as a client than somebody who's just posting photos of houses. Yeah, yeah, because they, then that's the more the authenticity is authenticity. Uh-uh. That was a big word, authenticity. Um, that's more that. But if you're just posting photos of houses as an audience member, is it the house you designed? Did you know you have anything to do with it? It's just a house you think it's pretty. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think yeah, it's about explaining that journey. Mm, I think that's a really good thing. Um, I'm making notes. <laughs> um, I think that uh, when you're looking for that cut through in a in a space, and say you're looking for that cut through in the med- from the media, um, there's a lot that people think has to be sensationalized. Is that true or not? I mean, or does that just create an event? Well, what does that mean? So sensationalized. I mean. Look, there's a difference between being sensationalised and and being um, clickbaity enough to be interesting. So there's an argument to be made that you're trying to catch the attention of people in news feeds, mm-hmm. different mm-hmm. platforms. So you do. It's not that you want to be sensational, but you do want to say something that is unique enough to stick out, right? Um, and then with a journalist, that's no different. So journalists get on average, you know, hundreds of press releases a day, hundreds of article pictures. How do you become interesting? Um, you know, sometimes people we know, like clients, for example, will say, I want to do this article. And by the way, I noticed a competitor of mine did a similar one. But actually, when you look into it, it's a paid for article or right. it's a sponsored. You know what I mean? They, they don't yep. understand the game of media. And the game of media is simply be interesting or pay. All right. I, I was I was listening to something the other day. Um, it was uh, about... Um, well, about business, but also about podcasting. And um, it was just said, you know, who, the person with the most money wins, as in being able to saturate the media. Yeah. So, as you say, either be interesting or pay. Um, and the thing is, is most people don't realise what being interesting is, I imagine. And they also don't understand why they need to pay. Like they think, no, it actually is really interesting that my new website has three new pages. I should have to pay for that. Um, you know, the only guarantee in media is if you pay. So a lot of people get frustrated that they're pitching to journalists and it's not being picked up. They don't really reflect on their story. They try to push on the, the PR person to say, oh, your contacts aren't that great. When the reality is contacts only take you so far in the industry, mm-hmm. it really is about the story. Mm-hmm. So if you, you could have no contacts and come up with an amazing story and you'll get multiple you know, articles published. Yep. You could have a million contacts and go to them every day with really boring stories and you're just going to burn your relationships. So I just, I think people need to really think about why they think it's interesting to the public and to the media because at the end of the day, 
publications and the media still have to make money themselves. Yes. And if they're not driving others um, because of your content being interesting, then they're going to have to pay for it by you paying for the article. So there's different ways, yeah, there's different ways to look at it. But yeah, A really interesting thing that, like, um, you know, I've worked with you guys for years now and one of the things that I really um, – notices is I go oh I think this is a really interesting thing that we've come up with you know like you know we'll come up with something that's really interesting and I go I find it really interesting and um, then the guys will find something else that they uh, that we've done that I don't necessarily find as interesting and we'll end up with it published, you know, in 40 publications or something. And I go, oh, okay. So then the, the, the the fact that I find it interesting has got very little to do with it. Irrelevant, Adrian. Exactly. Exactly. But I think that's fascinating. And that's where you need somebody who actually understands what the market's looking for and how to have a slightly different voice in it. I mean, look, it's not just about businesses promoting themselves. It's also about just media generally. Like, for example, when I do radio or TV, sometimes I find articles really interesting and I want to talk about it, but the breakfast radio aren't interested. They want to, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it really, and it also depends on the show. So, you know, what I might talk about on Triple M in the morning is going to be slightly different to what I talk about on ABC TV, the different audiences. So you need to know your audience. You need to know why you're talking to them and you can't just assume that they're all going to care about what you're talking about. I think that's uh, um, just such a key thing, know your audience. And that that is a knowing who you want your audience to be, but also where that audience is or or yeah. um, how you're unique in that or- to that audience maybe. Well, you don't need to do everything because what happens a lot of the time is people go, okay, I want to promote my business mm-hmm. um, or myself as a thought leader, whatever it is. And then they say, okay, I'm going to have to be on Twitter, I have to be on Instagram, I have to be on Facebook, I'm going to have to have this. And sometimes actually it's more beneficial to just focus on one or two channels and get really good at it and understand who they are. And sometimes also the content you put out, you're learning about what people like and don't like. Because if you, But if you're not looking at the metrics or the analytics, you don't really know. I mean, for example, I'll, I'll give you a really fun example. We've published a couple of articles where the article is a really intense analysis of something. And we'll have people liking it, but not necessarily clicking through and reading it. And then we'll have articles that are frivolous and silly, like, you know, about Kanye West and Kim Kardashian or something. And people won't like it, but they'll click through and read it. Oh, right, because you're looking in the analytics. Yeah. And And do you think they they don't like it because they don't want their other people to see that they liked it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but they really want to know what it's about because they... 100%. So they'll they'll like the analysis because they would love it in in their newsfeed if you saw your friend posting that they've just read an article about you know, some critical issue in the Ukraine. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I don't want everyone to know that I'm really like Kanye West and his meltdown. <laughs> like I just, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I think it, I think there's a definitely posturing in that in that way. Um, but that, that goes back to the analytics. So um, I think it really just comes down to understanding what people like and you can't know until you put it out there. Um, so if you put out a couple of different posts, just say they're blogs yes. or a social media type, whatever. If you're not looking at what people are liking and not just liking, but actually engaging with. Yeah. That deeper level of it. Yeah. You, you're just going to keep putting stuff out, hoping it's okay. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. So take me to back to this one. So when did blogs arrive on the scene? Maybe, goodness, I don't know, 
in the nineties. In the nineties, remember when everything was happening with the Clintons? Yeah, articles coming out. They weren't from publications. They were from you know online so, yeah. online digital blogs. Yeah, and I just think people people are really into reading content. But I mean, if you if you think about blogs as a concept, I mean, really all it is is that it's your own channel. Um, if it's a different publication, if you're writing an article and it's going into a publication mm-hmm. or another website, mm-hmm. it's a, an article. So, but but the concept of writing for the purpose of educating the public or exposing something or creating interesting content, that's always been around. Um, and, yeah. you know, it used to be that you would watch an episode of I Love Lucy and, you know, halfway through it, you'd see, you know, product placements. Or, yeah, sure. Yeah, it, it's, it's almost like a long-form version of that. Yeah, okay. I, it's something that's interesting to me because, you know, like blogs are still highly valid. They are highly like. I see. Well, because because people want to know stuff. So a, you've got the content side from an SEO perspective, like the content absolutely helps your website. Um, and but the other side of it is people want to learn stuff. People want to know. I mean, how many times a day do you Google something, and because you want to know how it works or who's behind it or what, sure. what happened, you're going to read content that you think is credible. You're not going to go to you know the Qantas website's blog about you know, how flying has changed. You're going to read an article about by someone who's a third party um, and independent. So you've got to think about the content you're putting out there and how much it's perceived as just being an angle to promote yourself. Mm. Yeah, okay, I get that. So then you go from blogs to vlogs, um, which is a video blog. What's the, what's the, you know, is there a different cut through? Is there a different, like, I look at, I'm going to give you my experience of looking at, say, you know, on, say, Instagram of reels versus stories versus this, you know, so many different ways that people can get some content or, um, and I go, I'm amazed by the number of sites now, say, on Instagram, that they might have one still picture to 10 video points. Yeah. Um, And then those are all just... um, story uh reels so they're real they're not long you know they're just little snippets um and then often i would say they're little snippets and they've got a little bit of value in them and they don't take an awful lot of your time versus if i had to get a not had to but if i was to read a blog I'm looking at a much deeper, well, I feel like I'm going to be looking at a much deeper thing and I'm actually going to pay more attention to it. I mean, people just do scrolling on social media, so you have to catch their attention pretty Mm -hmm. quickly. And that's why a lot of people, when they post a video, you'll see that the still of that video is a big caption or something in bright writing so that it catches your eye. Um, And I think that that comes down to just trying to game the algorithm and try to understand how it works. blogs and whether it's a blog or it's a thought leadership piece or whatever it is um you know you have to think about what value you're giving i mean i have to say i i know he's the he's the golden child at the moment for entrepreneurs but alex homozzi i think that's how you say his name um is a really great example of giving you a lot of valuable content for free um and his instagram and his youtube is all about learning from his past as an entrepreneur all of his mistakes what he does what he believes to be important, what, what works for sales, all of this stuff. And it's never with the goal 
to sell you something. So he doesn't top and tail his content with, oh, and by the way, come to this website and download my book. It's all about this is really valuable. You need to know this. And what happens is over time with that audience, they start to just trust him. So if there is a link in his profile, they will be more likely to go to and check it out because, hey, this guy's not trying to sell me all the time. So I think we have to think about the content we're putting out there and how valuable it is. Or if we, but, but there's an argument also to be made that putting out a lot of content at times helps you understand better what works. So if you're only putting out one piece every few months, it's not going to really work. It's not going to really land. People are not going to, it's not going to be in people's feeds. Yeah. Um, you get criti- You see a lot of criticisms from a publication, and we've been criticised for this too, that sometimes the same article can appear to people. Mm-hmm. The reason why that is is because I could be liking the Wall Street Journal as a Facebook page. I won't see everything they post. Yeah. I'll just do one or two pieces yeah. every few weeks. So if they're not constantly putting stuff out, mm-hmm. I'm going to miss most of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Often, and also sponsored boosts, uh, boosting a post on Facebook is another one. A couple of times we've boosted articles on the Big Smoke. Like this is just editorial, not anything yep. to do with agency. And people will be like, why are you sponsoring this article about, you know, the war and blah, blah, blah. And so, so that you'll see it in your newsfeed. Yeah, so that it will come that's, up. That's literally, yeah, that's it, just to get reach. And so people don't really understand that side of it as much. But the Wall Street Journal, I, I mentioned them because they often – post the same article multiple times every few months. And it's simply because it's not time-sensitive content. It's interesting content. Yeah. You probably haven't seen it in your feed yet. Yeah, right. That is a really interesting point because I do notice that, that, you know, sometimes you will see, I'll go, oh, well, I've already seen this or I've already, yeah. like, um, but I also think that with the algorithms, you know, that are deciding what we like and don't like, uh, which is genius on the part of the algorithm, it also means that it limits a lot of what we um, see. Yeah, and it's an echo chamber. Yeah, it's like it, it's like there's often I go ah, oh, there's nothing fresh. I mean, yeah, a good example of that is TikTok. So my husband and I will be we both have TikTok. I love I'm a, I love TikTok because it's just trash, and I just enjoy yes. Going. And but if you go on my TikTok feed, it's animal videos. It's maybe a little bit of political stuff. It's mostly funny. But if you go on someone else's feed, for example, my husband's, it's cooking stuff. It's all about cooking shows and, you know, um, because that's what he's been watching. So it learns over time what you're, what, it's all about the probability of you staying on the platform. So if they keep showing you stuff that's a higher probability of you liking, you'll stay around. Um, if you right. go to a friend of mine who's a little bit of a conspiracy theorist, all of her stuff is all about, you know, what they don't want you to know. Yeah, 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 exactly. This is the secret. This is the secret source. It just it just depends on what you're resonating with, and it, it just keeps serving you that. Yeah, which is where it becomes, um, or especially for someone who's you know easily distracted like myself, it becomes boring. Yeah. Um, and I then rely on um, my, I suppose, closer group of people to send me stuff. Yeah. that they like and then I go so like you know the the say Instagram for instance the DM part of it I get tons of these like and I operate in that space lots with people because it's fun yeah to see the quirky shit that they're 
for it, putting out all the beautiful stuff that they, they, yeah. they're liking. It's not yeah. usually their own content. And so from that point of view, I think it's really interesting. And then I go, so, but otherwise the feed gets really um, repetitive and really kind of, I wouldn't say boring, just repetitive. And so I don't feel like there's any cut through anymore, you know? And so then from a PR marketing type company um, or media company, you, you know that this is happening to everybody that's on any social media platform. Yeah. So what do you do to interrupt that so that it, like... You pay. Right. Because, I mean, how else are you going to get in their feed? I mean, you have to hope that either a friend likes your stuff and it appears in their feed. Yeah. Or, you know, but otherwise, I mean, that's what the whole model is. So a lot of people used to say Facebook's a wonderful way to get your business out there because you don't have to pay and you can have a page and people will like your page. It's free. It's not free. You have to pay to be seen. You can have 40,000 followers, but if you post something and don't boost it, maybe eight, 10 people will see it out of 40,000 people. So that's just the game. It's not free. It's not, you know, you just have to understand, but you have to know what's worth boosting, what's not boosting. That's that's, that's the that's, critical and part. And that's where metrics and analytics come into it. So you know, and, and it's the same every platform. It just really comes around. But I, I have to mention there's a guy I know called Parry um, and he runs a, a PR firm in the US. I think he's in Boston called Crackle PR. And I've worked with him on mutual clients uh, um, and he's a great guy, but he's getting great cut through on LinkedIn because he tells you the stuff you don't want to hear as a client from a publicist perspective. So he'll literally post a post that says, nobody cares about your story. And then this is why. And he's honest. And so then he interjects that with a bit of family stuff. So he'll post, this is my family. This is what we did on the weekend. I, you know, he did a post recently where he said, I had a really bad week last week. I lost a client. This happened, that happened. And he posted a photo of his family. But we went out today with the family. And it was a great day. And we'll start again tomorrow. And people liked that because it was authentic. It was real. It, was true. it, wasn't, like, yeah. it wasn't like, here's my happy family and look how nice we all look and my kids all match outfits and you know, <laughs> whatever happens. And, and you know, it, but it's kind of like that's authenticity to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also he's not, um, he's just telling you the life piece. It's it's the struggle yeah. as well as the, the you know, the ups, um, which yeah, I, I mean, I think that often people do get to the point where they're just trying to show this perfection perfect of life. There. Perfect there. And I think it, it's boring. I mean, I did, speak, I did a presentation last week for a group of entrepreneurs in New York, these women, who are a really cool group of women. Um, but I had to do this presentation on, on media and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, the last slide, because they wanted it to be on me, literally the photo of me, and it said, I'm an entrepreneur who's created a company from nothing and I've made every mistake possible ask me anything because the truth is I've made every mistake possible. Like anything yeah. you can imagine going wrong in a business, I've probably yeah. done. Um, I've hired the wrong people. I've made every, you know, so I think it's really important to share that part of the journey. We're not all Elon Musk who has gone from success. And if you look at it, someone like Elon Musk, oh. you see multiple failures. Yeah. Um, but I think we also glamorize that a little bit. So yeah, I think people just want to know that you're a real person who is just trying to figure things out like everyone else. And maybe you're a few steps ahead in terms of the entrepreneurial journey or the architect journey or whatever. But if you can help people be better, whether that's their home or their business or whatever, mm. they're more likely to want to follow you. But if you're just telling them how great you are and how successful you are, they don't really care. Mm. 
Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting thing. I always reflect on the number of clients that we have over the years um, been approached by uh, that have become clients, people who have approached us that have come from social media. And, you know, when I ask them, well, where did you hear about us? They'll go, oh, we saw you on Facebook or we saw you on Instagram. And I'm like, how, how in all the noise out there did my, I happen to manage to pop into your feed? I don't say that to them, but that's the thought that goes through my head. Um, and with that, I kind of go, it's very few. It's very few. But what we do get from it is... Valuable. Yeah, look, people go, once they hear of, uh, of us, you know, or, or hear about the company or see something, then they look at for validation, they go back there. And then they're looking for what, what's the story or what matters with it. Credibility. Yeah. And, and is there some sort of values alignment or, um, yeah, which again, uh, I think that there's the very curated and there's not so curated, but I, I really like the point you made about the differences is, you know, say you've got 40,000 followers and you don't pay for some boosting and stuff like that, then it might only land in eight to 10 spots. I think that's a, a, a really valid point of all those followers, which. And so when, repeating content, multiple types of content, iterations of the same content do matter. Yeah. Yeah, because it can show up in another 10 people or another 10 people. Um, just with the influencer space, I know we were talking about this the other day. Yeah. You know, the, there's, there's kind of like the people who have, you know, millions of followers. And then there's the people who have um, a few followers. And when I say a few, you know, it might be a thousand or I don't know. There's, there's all these different levels of this in the marketplace and a lot of people are just driven on having follower numbers. Yeah. You know, like just how many followers can I get? Can you just explain a little bit about how that works and the media sort of side of it as to where the value sits um, when you're looking at the media uh, or from a media point of view when people are influencers? Because I know you talked to me about, you know, there's micro-influencers versus, you know, large influencers yeah um i think that micro influencers and that could be anyone from a thousand to a hundred thousand followers are probably a little bit more impactful than the the influencers with millions of followers and the reason why is because unless you've got kylie jenner or someone promoting mm -hmm. your brand a lot of people do recognize that it's just sponsored content but when it's you know a, a, an account that you love and you follow because they're, they're putting out really interesting content you're more likely to engage with the brand that they're talking about or the person that they've tagged or whatever it might be. Um, so you see that a lot and that's where the value is. But in terms of media, um, you know, a lot of media outlets are competing with influencers because the media mm. outlets also want millions of followers. So, you know, it makes sense that they would, there would be a correlation there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's almost like a lot of influencers don't need the media anymore because they've probably got more followers than the media outlet. Um, so that becomes, so then their credibility actually comes more from things like a Netflix special or a TED talk. Do you know what I mean? Rather right. than being in the magazine because they've got more reach than the magazine. So yeah, it's a competing space of eyeballs, but in terms of influence and structure, um, you, know, you can see this from 
the engagement, but you can also see, for example, that a lot of in so you have to watch what their followers are like, and you can tell very quickly who is purchasing. And based on the images, you can see who's purchasing followers and who's who's nurturing followers. Right, right. That's really interesting. I, I think there's a there's a lot to be understood that it's not just a game to go after yeah. as many followers as you can get. It's, it's the quality. It's, it's the quality. Yeah. yeah. yeah like I would rather spend money with someone with fifty thousand followers where the content is really hitting home for those followers mm-hmm. than someone who has one point one million followers, but every photo of them is them in a bikini on the beach. It probably doesn't resonate with the brand. Like why? Um, why would anyone care? So it just it just comes down to the it comes down to the content and the value. Yeah. Yeah. So then, with that, as a as a PR and media company, how do you um, how do you work with clients? Like what, what what I know how, but I'm going to get you to explain how. And I know you have you know like the mega big clients and you have smaller clients. How do you split up what you do as a business that brings value to each of those areas? Well. We listen to what you want to achieve as a business and then we figure out and plot out what that looks like from a digital footprint perspective. So we're more digital. We're not really mm-hmm. into, you know, ban- like billboards or anything. Mm-hmm. But, for example, we will say to you, you know what, you want to achieve this over the next 12 months. You should have some quarterly goals when it comes to, you know, top-tier media targets, but then you should be regularly putting out content on your social, you should be doing a bit more on your website, making sure it's compliant, it's changing all the time. And analytics is really important. So we want to make sure you understand that. So it's just giving them the scope. And they don't need to understand how it all works, but they do need to understand how it works towards their goals. So if you said to them, we're doing, and this has been in the past an issue where we've explained something and it's so complicated that it goes over the person's head and they don't see the value, but then they'll invest in, you know, a couple of cute stories because they think it's, but then they don't understand why it didn't land. Um, so I try to make sure that my people explain the results rather than the way of doing it, because I think that really is what matters to the business. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we, we, you know, it's really about listening to the, the person and saying, what do you want to achieve? Because what you want to achieve might be slightly different to another person. So you can't just have a one size fits all approach of yeah. marketing. Um, you know, so a lot of times when you go to a firm, they'll be like, okay, we we'll two blogs a month and then we'll do five posts and they've got these templates that they follow mm-hmm. and it just it gets lost in the noise it's tough and yeah. it comes down to really knowing i mean a lot of my people in the business they read a lot they they they're constantly consuming media not just in the industry but actually just news in general so they're yeah. understanding what people want to you know read and, and listen to yeah, and they see how things, the um, the voice of things is shifting and changing and the trends shift and change. That's something that um, I'd love to ask you as well, is in 10 years, what's happened in 10 years between that start point in the sense of what the marketplace is to now? I mean, it's phenomenal, but what are sort of some of the key points to that where people might be lagging, um, you know, like, three years behind it and that's probably three years is like maybe a hundred years and maybe a speed i think um not knowing how your website compares to competitors but also not knowing how it communicates what you do so a lot of times when you go on a website you see the person just talking about themselves so i've achieved this and i do this and see me here on the show blah 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 Mm -hmm. and really what you want people to go is i need you so why do i need you it's because you do this for people 
you don't, you know, so it kind of you go, it goes into the category of understanding what, what your company does for people as opposed to what your company does. And it's just understanding those slight nuances that help you get cut through. And then that, that filters, getting that right as a foundation filters into your social media and then getting that right filters into how you speak to journalists about what you do. And then, so it just all aligns. But at the end of the day, if all you're hyper-focused on is telling people how great you are and your website says that and your social media says that, people aren't going to buy into that. They're just going to ignore you. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I really like the point there. It's about, you know, it's not just saying this is what, what we do. It's this is what the it's outcome driven. This is what we yeah. do for you. Or this yeah. is what we'll, we will do for your marketplace um, or your the people who you're trying to engage so that they become clear about what why they need you, you know. Well, I mean, one thing we say about our stuff is we shift opinions. And when you think about that, what does that mean? Well, it means that if you have a, a Google my business page, we can help shift opinions as to how people talk about you. If you have a blog, that means we can shift opinions based on whether or not people are reading the blog. So that concept of we shift opinions makes sense when you think about the market and the attention economy is all about how people are perceiving you. So when they see your post on LinkedIn or they see your blog or they see your social media content or they watch your podcast and listen to it and whatever, shifting the opinion as to whether or not it's worth engaging with is the goal yeah yeah and and that, yeah like staying within your values i imagine and and those things and then just how you present that opinion yeah is is a going to be the the hook that's going to get people to listen but then is it i suppose congruent or authentic that's, is going to yeah. be the next piece and what's the outcome for the people who are going to listen and watch or whatever yeah I have some last questions, which are nothing to do with PR and media, of course. Um, this is my new little thing that I'm playing with a lot at the moment, which is um, the emotion of a, of a space. And um, I happen to know, um, well, I've seen photos of uh, where you are in New York, and I certainly know where you are in Sydney, having had the pleasure of being at your home. Um, I'll let... Uh, in Sydney, I'm going to just sort of say roughly where you live in Sydney. <laughs> Alex lives on the waterfront in Sydney in um, an apartment. And when I say on the waterfront, she looks across the harbour. It's a very privileged spot to live in. It's, it's absolutely amazing. Um, but with that, the water is literally lapping on her patio like you could lean over the wall and put your hand in it almost yeah. um, so I'm talking about on the waterfront it could be a houseboat almost um, it's not <laughs> no, but it is an amazing thing and um, I know that for you that that is a space that or, or a place I'll say that first a place that really resonates with letting you unwind from where you go and Alex doesn't un unwind much either just for those yeah she stays fairly wound um with that I'd like to say ask you what is your most favorite place in your home where would you where, where do you where's the place that you go oh, that's my most favorite out of all of the bits so there's a seat in my living room and it's in front of a beautiful uh, mirror coffee table that we had shipped into Sydney. Like I thought it was just the most beautiful piece. 
And I often sit there and I look over at the candles that are lit at night. My husband always lights candles as we're getting ready for the evening. And he's such a romantic. No, he's not being romantic. I think he, he doesn't want to smell the dog. But, um, <laughs> but, um, but um, yeah, no, he lights candles every night and we listen to classical music and we sit. In, I sit in this big Chesterfield-type chair but, and it overlooks this mirrored coffee table and then across from that is the ocean. Oh, wow. It's yeah. such a, a serene feeling and it's beautiful and you never get sick, sick of it. So I feel like that's my favourite spot here. Um, and it just, I, I, from the furniture I have to the colours in my home, to the artwork, to a few, you know, pieces that are a little bit more than just the average, you know, piece of yeah. furniture. It is important to me for it to feel peaceful and beautiful. Um, I'm not the sort of person that thrives on um, an eclectic home. So, you know, for some people they have like quirky vases and then that's next to a quirky frame and then the colours. And I actually find that really stressful. So um, I, I like monochromatic. I like um, mirrors, glasses, crystals. Yeah. And what does that make you feel when you've got those? Serene and relaxed and, you know, I, I, I really enjoy my environment it's really beautiful and I recognize that I'm very fortunate but at the mm. same time I feel like it's not even about the location it's also just about the color schemes and it's about the the way things are positioned and the openness of the living room and the dining room and the kitchens area and you know I have a lot of mirrored stuff a lot of glass stuff and the crystals and I feel very it's very serene for me um and I have a lot of gray palettes so like a, a a light gray with you know, different things. Um, this sofa that I'm sitting on is light grey. Um, mm -hmm. And I really like that. Um, I'm not really a... I, I have often said that I can be funny, but I'm not fun. And what I mean by that is I'm not the sort of person that's like, oh, that's a quirky, bright orange chair. It's going to be so fun in my living room. Yeah. It would stress me out, yeah. that orange chair. So I'm definitely someone who just enjoys my space to be serene and neutral and um, and pretty. And my husband, when he was living in New York and we were here and we were going through long distance during COVID, he would always send me beautiful flowers, like uh, almost weekly, but they were always the same colors. They were whites, they were light pastel pinks. Um, and that was because he knew that that would make me feel good about my home. So he knew the, the palettes that I loved. That's a really interesting point because you, your, your awareness around it of knowing that you know, chuck a bright orange chair in there would stress you out. And it wouldn't give you that ability to drop into being the relaxed. And then from that relaxed comes, you know, like the, the I suppose, the deeper like self. Um, and so I love to work out this, you know, where is the space? But in, in your case, in the space, it's also uh, you can identify that if it was a jumble of colours or too many um lines too many conflicting pieces that all of a sudden you would feel engaged more engaged or more yeah. not necessarily engaged isn't the right word there Stressed out by it. yeah it would lift your level of stress I I, think I, that's right and I've had a few people buy me gifts and no not trying to be disrespectful for the gift but it's been so out of the ordinary of what I like that 
I, like I had someone once buy me a Thomas the Tank Engine lamp. I'm like an older woman. Not that old. But I'm older and um, and I just didn't understand. And they were like, this is fun. It's fun. And I'm like, well, maybe I'm not fun. You know what I mean? Mm. Like maybe I'm not mm. like, I'm not the quirky fun. Kind of, my husband has a, a bright green lamp that's a, a shape of a goose in his living room at home. Um, we have to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> Make foie gras out of it. Yeah. <laughs> I think then, okay, go to the New York space and then where's the most favourite spot there? Actually, it's going to Central Park. Oh, it's outside. It's being outside and it's, um, and it's being in the park and it's being in the vast open space and watching people walk by and, and sometimes there's musicians in the park and looking up and seeing the buildings. And it's the whole vibe of being in the Upper West Side or the Upper East Side um, on each side of the park I love. And it feels very peaceful. And actually I was there at the beginning of the year and there were a couple of days that were quite stressful for work. And I remember I would go out and walk just in the park and immediately I felt more relaxed. And it's not because I love the park and I go walking in the park. It's the atmosphere of the juxtaposition of the serene nature of Central Park and the busyness of the city. Of the city. And I love that. It's yeah. a foot in each camp almost. And I think that maybe is you in Sydney as well. Is think, you, yeah. you, you go down to the harbour where you are and really it's like the world's left behind you, although you yeah. can see it at a distance. Yeah, it's a and sanctuary. Yeah, like it's like you're, you're observing it but not necessarily playing in it, yet you're totally playing in it when you the minute you step out, not necessarily out of that space but into your work mode, yeah. um, you fully engage 100%. and then... Yeah, that's fascinating. I, li- I like that's a really cool little outcome with that. Hmm. I'll keep my, keep my notes on that one. <laughs> um, tell me one last thing, which is going to be what's next in the digital, well, in the, in the media PR space. What's the next moving item? What's, what should everybody watch out for? I is, there, is there one or is there just something? Probably from a, well, I, I won't get into the technical changes because I feel like we'd be here all day. So if we talked about the changes of algorithms and blah blah blah, if we just talk about attention, the attention economy, mm-hmm. I think that the shift around that will will be away from things like ebooks and downloadable stuff, mm-hmm. because I think people are getting more and more tired of sharing their email addresses or their phone numbers to get something for free. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for a long time, people would talk about if you give them something, make sure it's valuable so that they'll give you in exchange for the phone number. And the, I actually think that people over time will be more likely to want to give you their, their mobile number and their email addresses, not because you're getting a free downloaded book or a free lead gem magnet, which is what they call it, mm-hmm. but because they actually want to engage with you. And so the, the next phase will be around using almost everything you put on the internet as lead gem and not because it's all salesy but because it's all got, it all has a purpose. So when you approach an ebook or a downloadable document that people try to run ads to, mm-hmm. it's always written with the purpose of this has to be valuable. And that's how much effort they put into it because they're paying for ads to attach to that particular page. I actually think the shift will be everything you do takes that amount of care. 
So do you think that will mean people will put less? I think people but better. more valuable. I think people were probably going to put less money into cheap social media content, less money into blogs that no one reads, less less money into, you know, white papers that aren't really white papers. I mean, the amount of people I see putting out a white paper and the white paper is just, you know, five reasons why you should, you know, book a call with me. I mean, like a white paper should be an analysis of something that you're learning. I think we're going to have a real shift towards, um, I guess, a sense of, not, not not being as okay with it, you know, it's less acceptable to put noise into the atmosphere. Mm, mm, that's really cool. That's really cool. I know, um, you know, when I'm on, uh, say, Instagram or something, and there's uh, something that captures my interest, it'd be an advert of some kind, you know, the first thing that comes up is you'll get 10% off if you put your name and address in here. I, I don't want to put my name and address in there. Yeah. I'm, I go, no, I... I I'll come back later for the 10% if I really like what I'm going to see next. Yeah. But, but you haven't engaged me enough to get something from me yet other than you've got my attention. And I guess that comes back to do you want to be transactional or do you want to be helpful? And the people, the companies and the thought leaders and the businesses, if you want to be helpful, you'll have a very different experience online than if you're just being transactional. Mm-hmm. Transactional, helpful. Brilliant. Alex, what a fabulous chat. I've really enjoyed that. I think there's lots in there for listeners to dig through as well. Um, you know, that last piece there, just about transactional, helpful, just for starters. If that was like one thing that everybody took away, it was is that transactional or is it helpful? And then also that thing around shifting opinions, like that, how you said, you know, yeah. your job is, is to shift people's opinions. I think that's really good as well to go. Are you shifting somebody's opinion with whatever you're doing? Are you giving them a reason to actually give you their eyeballs for that amount of time or their ears and their eyeballs? I think it's really cool. Absolutely brilliant. Thank you. Have the most wonderful day. I look forward Thank to talking to you so soon. Richard's Magic Arrows is brought to you by the Architect Marketing Institute. <laughs> Clean, simple, sugar-free magic arrows that hit the mark for fast results. Let's fire a magic arrow into this week's problem. Now, I know feed pressure is one of the biggest things facing designers. It doesn't matter what level you're at. There is no one golden bullet for it. Uh, if it was, it was probably select the right type of clients. But if you're in a situation where you're being pressured on fees, I'm going to give you a way of dealing with it. And it's by asking, say, three questions. And this is called takeaway selling. So this is where you kind of offer something up and then you take it away and see if they follow you. It's almost like imagine if you had some hot ch chocolate cookies and you had a plate full of them. You put them in front of them, someone and then they went to reach out and then you, you pulled it away and you see if they get up and follow you. It's that type of thing. So this is called takeaway selling. So the first question you ask, you say, well, why don't you just leave the situation as it is? Why, why make the change? That's an unusual thing for a designer to say. Well, why not just leave it as it is? And see how they answer. And then you might say, why did you want to speak to me? Why did you not get someone else? And see if they follow you. See if they answer properly. And the third question would be, well, why not do it later? Now, by asking these negative questions, you're going to get a lot more information out of someone than by trying to convince them to do it. Because by pulling the plate of hot cookies away, they're either going to react or they're not. And if they do react and give you answers and explain why it's important, then what they're doing is telling you how 
important something is. Now while these magic arrows are great for fast results, when you're ready to run better quality projects from clients who value great design and are prepared to pay great fees, I've got a special training just for you. Go to archmarketing.org forward slash talk design. Take your magic arrow and fire at will.